The Gospel writer John writes about the good news of Jesus Christ. And almost at the end of his journal, he tells us why he was writing what he did. And he writes, These things are written so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in him, you will have life, life eternal. So I challenge you this weekend, the time that I'm spending with you, the goal is this, that you would catch a glimpse of this Jesus, and it would inspire you in such a way that it would encourage you to take a step of faith into water that is deeper than you've ever been before, following the one who has proven that he can raise the dead. That's what we're talking about. The overall theme is, is uh, looking at Simon Peter through the eyes of God. And it's surf to turf, taking a first century fisherman and transforming him completely into something that he was not before. Well, we get introduced to Peter. He's introduced to us as Simon. It's in the first chapter of John, if you would like you can turn with me to first chapter of John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 40. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The John that's spoken of here is John the Baptist. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now I need to just back up a little bit because we stepped in there and talking about Andrew. Well, what was happening was John the Baptist had established a ministry out in the wilderness. And there were people that were going out to him. There were things happening and the people were getting excited. They'd come back and they would talk about it. And next day, more people. Well, it got so that Andrew couldn't hardly take it anymore. And he had to take a vacation day to go find out what John was preaching about out in the wilderness. Now, just as a side, what do you do on your vacations? Do you do those things that really refresh you or do they wear you out? So when you come back from vacation, you need another vacation. You know what I mean? Well, for... For Andrew, he left the fishing business for the day to go find what a preacher out in the desert was saying. He heard John the Baptist that day say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And when he said that, he was pointing to Jesus, and Andrew's attention was drawn to him. Now, we know that Peter and Andrew, like uh, Philip and Nathaniel were from a little town called Bethsaida, or Bethesda. And historians tell us that this was an enclave of people who were very serious in their commitment to the Lord. They were expecting the Messiah to come. And they had kind of gathered around and the teachings in the synagogue were pointing to the time when Jesus was going to come. And when, when John the Baptist pointed him out and said, Behold the Lamb of God, Peter's ears just went, bah! Is he really the one? Well, they followed him for a while. At the end of the day, after John was, uh, John was finished and Jesus was gone, and, and Andrew and the other disciple, it might have been the one John, they followed him. Jesus turns around and looks at them and says, What do you want? How would you have answered that question? 
If Jesus were to come to you here today and say, what do you want? They kind of stuttered and stammered. We'd like to see where you live. Well, sure, come along. They spent the day with him. The Bible tells us it's about the 10th hour. Could you imagine, imagine hanging out with Jesus? You didn't really know who he was, but you had a pretty good inkling. We don't get the story of what they talked about during that time, but we do know that Andrew came away convinced that they had found the Messiah because the first thing that he does is he runs and gets his brother Peter, and he wouldn't rest until Peter would come along with him to meet up with Jesus. Now, I don't know if it was the next day or what, but Andrew was not content to rest until his brother Peter also met Jesus. Now, I want to tell you something. It takes a special kind of a person to be an Andrew. We don't read a whole lot about what Andrew does. We do know that Jesus chose him as one of the 12 disciples. But we do know that his brother Peter, we know him as Peter, but his brother Simon was one of the three that Jesus clo- chose to be very close to him, very, very special, Peter and, and uh, the twins, James and John. Now, I, what I said, it takes somebody to be special for Peter. Andrew could have said, well, I was there first. Why don't I get preeminence in the relationship? But he did. Nowhere do we find that there was any kind of uh, scenario where Andrew was feeling slighted because Peter maybe made greater strides in the kingdom than he did. I'm going to tell you this. There are people like Simon who are waiting to hear about God. They are expecting God to come, but they don't really know him yet. What they need is an Andrew to bring them to him. Your responsibility as the people of God is not to do the changing of somebody's life. All that you're responsible for is the introduction of this person to Jesus. God is very well capable of taking it from there. Now the thing is, when when Simon came to, uh, to Jesus, Jesus looks at him. This is the Peter through the eyes of God business. Jesus looks at him and he says, you're Simon. Translators tell us that Simon means either sinking or slippery sand. You're Simon. But from now on, you're going to be called Peter. You know what Peter means? Did you ever hear of Petra? Rock. This is a dramatic shift in thinking. Slippery sand is gone. Rock is being established. It doesn't happen overnight. But the thing is that when we are in relationship with God, he puts upon us, uh, places upon us a new identity that we maybe couldn't even imagine for ourselves. No longer is Simon slippery sand. Now, we know that Simon was a very, uh, he, he was a very spontaneous kind of person. He stepped in where he shouldn't have. He said things that he shouldn't have before he thought about them. He was the kind of guy whose mouth engaged before his brain did. You know those kind of people. Simon, you are no longer going to be called Simon, but you're going to be called Peter. Now, listen. I wish that there was some way that when we come to Christ, there would be a way to name our new identity. This identity that changes because Jesus is now present in our life. No longer will I be called desperate 
I will be called faithful. No longer will I be called a liar. I will be called truth teller. And it's amazing that over the period of time, the closer that we get to Jesus, the more we spend time with him, the more like that new identity we become. So that in the end, when Peter is writing the epistles that are found in the back of the book, the back of the New Testament, we find that he has indeed become the rock. We'll talk about it a little bit. You're Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm convinced that there are a lot of points where God meets us. It doesn't happen, it rarely happens all at once where the first time that you hear about Christ that you respond to it. That does happen on occasion, but I'm just saying there are many times when Jesus meets us along the way and we're trying to decide whether or not he is the one that we want to give our life to. I remember sitting across the table from a woman who was telling me her life story. She was saying that when she grew up in her household, there was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of bickering. And what she would do when the fighting would start, she would go and she would hide behind the sofa. She said, I felt safe there. There was kind of an imaginary friend there that that I would talk to and I I felt safe. And I didn't know until I came to Jesus Christ that the one who was with me behind the sofa was him. And I came home and I found in him the one who helped me to feel safe. I didn't recognize him then, but I do now. He was with me even then. God is with people, and they don't even know it. But as you introduce them, and you bring them to Christ, they recognize that this is the one that they've been longing for. This is the one that they've been seeking. For for Peter and the rest that lived in that little village town, they had found him. That's what Andrew was saying. We found him. It's been some time ago, but there was a search and rescue operation that had gone on for a, for a little child that had wandered away, and it had been gone for a while. They spent uh, hour, hours and, and resources. Can you imagine the person that actually laid eyes on that little child for the first time? Well, the excitement that was in their voice when they come. We found him, and it comes over the radio. We've got her. Everybody's cheering. Everybody's celebrating. Now, in this world, not everybody's celebrating Jesus. But I can tell you this. The kingdom of God is being established, and more and more people all the time are coming to know who he is and are getting excited about it. In the tale of the, of the wheat and the tares, the parable talks about the wheat and the tares. Guess what? The tares are growing They're growing strong. But at the same time, the wheat, the kingdom of God, is coming into full righteousness. I am excited to live at a period of time in history when the kingdom of God is in full power, full bloom, full grown. The kingdom of Satan is as well. But we get to see God in all his glory. We get to see it like those past haven't had the opportunity to. We found the Messiah. Are you looking for him? Are you looking for him? He really doesn't hide that hard. We're going to pick up the story of Peter as Luke tells about it in Luke chapter 5. So I invite you to turn your scripture to Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. 
he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Do you think that that's an accident that he got into Simon's boat? Not on your life. God doesn't do anything by accident. He gets into this boat belonging to Simon and asks him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and both had filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This day, Jesus is teaching out by the Sea of Galilee, Genesaret, Sea of Galilee, if I understand, are, are the same. And you've got to understand that the people that are coming there to listen to him this day, we don't read that this was the Sabbath day. They probably wouldn't have gotten out there because you're not supposed to travel but so far on the Sabbath day. We have to assume that this is a day somewhere in the middle of the week, so they have stopped what they were normally doing to go out and listen to Jesus. I want to tell you this. There is a hunger for teachers and that can teach the word of God with power and truth. If you are teaching truth, there will be people show up to listen to you. They will even stop what they're doing and go to the trouble of hiking out to the wilderness to get where you are. There's something that happens when truth is expressed. People get excited and they talk to other people about it. And this day, so many people had come out to listen to Jesus that they were kind of crowding him. When you like that, there's no room. There's no room to preach in here anymore because people are all over the place. It's exciting. Jesus figures out a way to handle this situation. He steps into Simon's boat and says, "Simon, go out here in the water a little bit." And he sits down and he begins to teach. I I, I think this is funny. Simon's a captive audience. We don't have the sermon written down here. But we do know that, once again, Simon is in close proximity to Jesus, and he's hearing truth again, and these little things, line by line, precept upon precept, all those things that Simon had studied in Hebrew school are starting to, they're they're just starting to fly around, and, man, this is making sense to me. Making sense. And he goes, at the end of the day, when Jesus is done teaching, He turns to Simon and says, Simon, I used your boat here all day. He says, I'd like you to just kind of float this little vessel on out here to a little bit deeper water and let's let our nets down for a catch. And Simon looks at Jesus and says, you know, you might be a real good, you might even be a great teacher, but you don't know squat about fishing. 
Well, that's not quite what it says. It says, we worked hard all night and haven't caught in anything. Peter knows that it's at night when you go fishing. That's when you catch fish. Not now. The sun's up. There is no fish out there. If there would have been, we'd have caught them. But then he says something about, uh, just so you don't feel bad, we'll go. Just to humor you. The thing is, people, we like to compartmentalize Jesus over here. God, you're good for Sunday. And I'm really glad that you made Sunday. I sure do like Sunday. But the rest of the week, I got it took care of. You take care of the preaching. I'll I'll handle the fishing. And the thing is, but because you say so. Now, I heard it when I was a kid. Declared that I'd never say it. And then I had kids. And there's times when they push you, why? Why? And the only good answer is, because you say so. You know, I don't, don't, we'll go. And they go out there. By the way, when God tells you something to do, just because he says so is good enough reason to do it. Okay? So he goes, they go out there, paddle their boat out. Peter has no expectation of catching a fish. My hunch is he put the smallest net that he had down in the water. He didn't want to get the other ones dirty. I mean, after all, he was just repairing them. He did not want to spoil the work that he had, you know, we're not going to catch anything. How many of you go about your life with Christ in the kingdom of God like that? You put the smallest thing in that you got because you know there's nothing there anyhow. And about that time, there was a school of fish hit that net like Peter hadn't seen in a decade. And he's, he's grabbing for his other net. He's pulling it in. And he realizes that there is more fish here than what he can handle in his boat. And he's ho- Can you imagine? Here's Peter. He's trying to get his fish in. And he's hollering to people. Come. We haven't seen. Come. There they are. There is fish where there weren't no fish. The thing is, people... You and I can think that there is nobody around. You know, I, can, I, can, I will not forget a day. I, there was a day there was a, a friend of mine that was sitting in my uh, little shop down here at Blue Ball, and we were sitting on these five-gallon buckets, and we were eating our lunch. And he said, you know, if I could only find somebody to minister to, if I could really only find somebody, I'm going, are you blind? Follow me around for a couple of days. I'll show you somebody that has a need that you can take care of. The thing is, he didn't want to see. There are people in this county, in this little New Holland neighborhood, there are fish that God intends to have in his kingdom. And he's, if I were God, I'd be frustrated waiting on people putting in their little net. You need to put your net in there because God says so, and he's going to provide fish for you. The reality of it is, He provides so many fish that the nets begin to break. Forget about it being the littlest net. It didn't matter what size net they put in there. The fish came and they filled it up and they got their boats filled to the point where they thought they were going to sink. Master, we've worked hard all night. Talk about bringing Christ into the midst of our everyday week. Do you think that Peter figured out that maybe Jesus knew something about fishing after all? I'd like to have him teach me a thing or two about fishing. 
I had a good time fishing this summer up at Lake Nakamixon, but I ain't had no success like this. Do you think that perhaps maybe if you're a doctor inviting Jesus into your practice, you might be able to learn something from the person who could speak the word and somebody would be healed? How about if you're a teacher and you're wondering how you can get through to your, your students? Do you think maybe the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of the work, the earth that had people draw, walking out from their cities might be able to teach you a thing or two about teaching? How about if you're a builder, perhaps the one who laid the foundations of the world that cannot be shaken, do you think that he can teach you something about building? Maybe if you're a pilot, do you think God can teach you anything about aerodynamics? Bring God into the middle of your workday. You will be surprised what happens. It's been, a, it was a little bit after Thanksgiving Day. I was, I was working there, and one of the contractors came in, and I had gotten the things that he needed, and he was just kind of hanging around, and the Spirit, the Lord said something about it. Well, just ask him, how, is, is everything okay? So I, I asked him, you know, is everything okay? Within seconds, I got this story about how his wife had lost her job and she had, she had been ill for something and she had lost her job and she was the one that had the medical insurance that was covering him. He needed to have surgery on his arm because the rotator cuff and he was hardly able to, to work anymore and they had second more Easter house and things were, they, they were, they were just tense. And they were, I mean, it just, boom, like the dam had been opened up. And I was, I was standing there stunned and I'm thinking, what, what can I do about this? So I, I turned to him and I asked him, I said, can I, can I pray for you? I didn't know what his religious affiliation was. I, I, can I pray for you? The first, his reaction was, here? And I thought, well, and I said, well, did you want to go outside? But, it, but his second response was this. I'm not worthy to be prayed for. The thing is, there isn't a single one of us stand worthy of anything of God's goodness coming into our life. Not a single one of us. And I said to him, listen, let me pray for you. And we'll let God decide whether or not he wants to listen. We know that he always does. So I prayed for him, prayed for him that day. You know, within, that shop became a tabernacle. It became a holy of holies. It was about a week and a part ago. I saw him in the office, and he's got his shoulder up here. He said, look, John, I can move. He had had his surgery. Things, something happened. His wife was, was healed, and she got her job back and got the insurance. I mean, things just, they just lined out. And then he just says, thanks. I know exactly what he was talking about. But when you allow God to step in, to the middle of your everyday. I don't care whether you work in the most spiritual of climates or not. There are opportunities that God wants to break in. We call it incarnation. When the incredible gift of God comes into our midst and makes himself known, he does that. It was after this catch of fish that Peter's attention, his eyes were opened up and he's He's humbled in, 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 with, with what he had just seen. And he falls to his knees and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. The year was 1972. One of the first major media scandals was unfolding on the front pages of the newspaper every day. The journalists were digging and coming out with story after story each day a little bit more, pointing to the fact that the President of the United States had been involved with a break-in of a Watergate building. 
And during that time of crisis, one of the, one of the close advisors of the president reported that he had fallen to his, to his knees and he was, he was weeping at the, just the pressure that was being applied to him. And one of his advisors says, you know, if you just confess what you've done, the American people are really a rather forgiving people. And they, they will probably forgive you and, and you'll be able to move on. And it, they said that he rose from his knees and said, I will not. And he chose to resign. He says, we'll allow history to be the judge. And you know the rest of the story with President Nixon and the water. Some of you were alive during that time. And it was one of those uh, uh, initial starts of media investigations into political scandals which seemed to continually occur. What we have here is somebody who's stubborn, arrogant, self-centered, proudful spirit prohibits them from doing what's right. Centuries before that, this fisherman on the Sea of Galilee with his boat, no less proudful. I, we can look at Peter and the things that we can see in, in the scriptures. We can determine that he was a type A driven personality. But when he came face to face with the living Lord, I'll tell you what, something broke in him. Go away from me because I am a sinful person. It takes the recognition of sin in our own lives before we can even think about being able to minister to somebody else. And I can tell you this, the attitude of humility on a person's life will open doors that the attitude of arrogance and pride will never allow you to enter. They were astonished at this catch of fish. Do you realize that God is still asking you to do some things? Listen, I saw somewhere, and it was up here and it was out there, that this year is to be a year of miracles for this church. Jesus turned to Peter that day and says, Let's put out here a little bit to deeper water. Do you know what? Miracles don't begin until you get out into water that's too deep for you to stand up in. We're tired of Christians paddling around the shallow end. We're playing in the kiddie pool. The apostles talk about it. says, I wish that I could give you solid meat, but I constantly have to give you milk. What is meant for children? Because you can't take it, you're still staying in the kiddie pool. And if the church wants to see miracles, it's got to get into some water that's deeper than they are, where your only choices are to be able to swim or to walk on top of it. There we are. But here it is for Peter. You get out there. Go out there a little bit deeper. And I challenge you as the people of God here at this place. Let's step into water that's a little bit deeper than you've ever been before. Remember I said that the goal is that you would catch a glimpse of the risen Christ in such a way that it encourages you to take a step into water that's deeper following the one who's proven that he can raise the dead. And if he can do that, what can't he do? That day... Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Oh, man. Whenever God gets close to you or you get close to God, I don't care what anybody says. There is a sense of fear. When you get close to the holy, you can almost get burnt. Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, 
you're going to catch men. The overarching theme of the transformation of the first century fisherman spent all of his early years on that fishing boat. But God's going to be changing him and bringing him over here to catch people. And Peter's saying, wait a minute, I don't know nothing about catching people. And Jesus could look back and say, you don't know nothing about catching fish. It wasn't you that caught the fish, was it? By your own admission, there's none out there. Don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you're not going to catch fish anymore, but you're going to catch men. It's not you that has the responsibility to do it. Only at the word of God, when God says, I want you to go talk to that. I, I, I spent a year in voluntary service, and there was a man that I met there. He was, he was one of the most crazy Christians I had ever met. And he would pray, he would just go up to people and pray for people like out of the, he didn't even, he didn't even know them. I will, I will never forget, I was, in the, I was in the airport with him one day. He says, oh, God wants me to go pray for that guy's thumb. He goes over there and says, well, God wants me to pray for him. He's there praying for this guy's thumb. And, he, and I'm thinking, I don't know him. I was embarrassed. But you know what? The person that he was praying for, he wasn't embarrassed at all. He was amazed that God knew somebody in the airport that would come and pray for his thumb. And I'm like, he's not shrinking away. He, he's, he's thanking him for coming Wow, I would like to hear God like that. I, I kind of got slapped one time by God, just nicely. He said, I talked to you like that, and you didn't answer, so I figured if you didn't want to pay attention to me, I wasn't going to waste my time with you. You talk about hurt. Am I ready to be foolish enough to do at your word? You know, it makes no sense, God. But because you say so, I will. I was standing, uh, I was working in my work, again, down here at the, uh, at the little shop. And one of my customers came down. And he comes in one day and says, John, I understand you're a man of the cloth. I'm going, well, I don't exactly know what that means. But if it means I'm a preacher, uh, yeah. He says, he says, well, I'm a Lutheran. I go, great. What do the Lutherans believe about Jesus? He goes, well, I'm a Mason. Wow. Okay. What do the Masons believe about Jesus? And he turns, how much were they again? And that was the end of the conversation. Two weeks later, he was back, and he had his mother along with him. Mom mom came to me. She said some people came to her doorstep, uh, and they were talking about Jesus. She said, it didn't sound quite right. I thought maybe you could tell her about Jesus. Yeah, I can. There are opportunities that God wants to use you, maybe in spite of yourself. And God's going to receive glory. You know, the thing is this. When Peter caught that net full of fish, he couldn't say, well, I used such and such a bait, and we had to write, you know, stream, and we figured out with our depth gauge finder and and, and this new gadget that I got, and, and we... We did it. He couldn't say that because what he said was no fish. God doesn't waste his miracles, people. If you can take credit for it, it's not a miracle. God's intending to do miracles in your midst. They pulled their boats up on shore 
And they left everything and followed him. It sounds pretty radical. But there are points all the way along where Jesus is continually calling you. You might not respond the first time in such a way that you leave your nets and follow him. But Jesus is still knocking. He's he's talking to you. And after a while, it starts to make sense. And they left their nets. Look, I don't know what it means for you to leave your nets. Some people get all tangled up in those things and they can't follow Jesus. They're... Their net might be their job. It might be their, you know, I, I would like to follow you, but I can't because of, and that net is just bound. Jesus is, has the ability to unloose the captive or to set the captive free. People might say, I can't follow Jesus because of this habit that I have. It's a net that continually is holding you back, and you see others follow him, but, and you would like to go, but you can't. Is it any wonder Jesus is saying, don't be afraid? When Peter is thinking about what it means for him to follow Jesus, there are a lot of things to be afraid of. It's not what I'm used to. Who's going to pay my bills? What about my wife and children? What about my friends that are going to think that I've gone off the deep end? But Jesus doesn't answer all those questions. He just says, follow me. Are you willing to follow him? Some of you are sitting here and you need to have a new name applied to your forehead. A name that speaks of faith. A name that speaks of mercy. Maybe you are so tight you squeak with muddy and you need to have a name written on you of generosity and blessing. You might have the name of fearful, and it needs to be changed to trusting. God is able to do that. You spend time with him, and he's going to instill in you that new identity. Oh, it doesn't happen overnight, but it happens little by little. You, you are also struggling maybe with the idea of what it means to step out or to go out a little bit into deeper water. I'm going to tell you what. It's fun playing in the kiddie pool, but it's kind of boring when you're big. You can't jump off the diving board in the kiddie pool. Do you realize how little kids wait until they can jump off the diving board? That's where they want to be. As little kids, we want to be in the deep water. They they want to be where the action is, and we're afraid. I encourage you, take that step of faith. It doesn't have to be all at once. Our faith muscle is built like a muscle, a training. We don't one day pray that for Aunt Sarah Clara's foot to be healed, and the next day we're praying for somebody, you know, cancer right in front of us, that they're going to be healed. And ex- No, it's a strengthening of a muscle. It's just a little bit deeper than where you are. Trust me, with a little bit more than what you have. And I'm going to unleash some miracles in your midst that you can't take credit for. There's going to be fish that are going to be swimming around you that you have no idea where they came from. But God's going to point them out to you. He's going to bring them right into your net. He's going to be calling you, giving you a new job description. One that you might not feel qualified for. Guess what? Any job in the kingdom, there isn't a single one of us is qualified for. 
It only comes because of our connection with God. I can do it because he says so. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, on this day, I ask that you would open our eyes to see you in a new way. Increase the faith in our heart to believe that you are able to do exactly what you said you were going to do. Take us by the hand. Lead us out into the water that's a little bit deeper than what we're swimming in right now. I ask, Lord, that you would unleash miracles in the midst of these people in such a way that they, their eyes blink. You will provide for them testimonies that, to tell of how your kingdom is coming in their midst. And people will leave from their everyday to come and find out what it is that is happening when the word of God goes out with power.